So my dad passed away in 2015. We weren't talking and it took a month for his family to track me down. Before I ever knew he was gone, I started hearing from him in heaven. It consumed me. How is communication with the other side even possible? I left my corporate gig, studied with spiritual teachers on every coast, and worked with my angels to figure out the answers. Today, my mission is teaching you how to raise your vibration, shift your thoughts, trust your intuition, develop your unique spiritual gifts, and connect with your loved ones and angels on the other side. Friends, when you have these tools, life really does become heaven on earth. Hello, beautiful souls. Welcome back to the Angels and Awakening podcast. I'm your host, Julie Jancis, and we are back with Sensei Alex Kekuyo. He is here talking about transforming our pain into healing and love, how we can work skillfully with the unpleasantness that we experience so it fills us with love and hope instead of fear and hate. Alex has been with us the last two weeks. If you haven't joined into this conversation, he is here for a four-part series And you really want to dive into those first two episodes so that you can really understand where we're at here in week three. We would love for you to make a donation to Sensei Kakuyo for his time. He doesn't have to be here. He's here because he wants to help. He wants to serve. He wants to teach you. So if you have time to make a contribution to him for his time. Um, you can go over to his website, thesameoldzen.com, and that link is in the show notes. You can also purchase his book called Perfectly Ordinary, love that title, Buddhist Teachings for Everyday Life. It's on Amazon and it's only about $9.95. I've got it right here in my hands and you will not be disappointed. There are so many amazing stories that help you in your healing journey within your awakening to really understand how to live in a different way. Sensei, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. (laughs) So you're going to dive in with a lesson today, and then we'll have a conversation afterwards, right? Yes, absolutely. Okay. To start off today's topic, I'll do a reading from my book, Perfectly Ordinary Buddhist Teachings from Everyday Life, or For Everyday Life. And the title of the essay is called A Walk in the Garden. I'll do the reading, and then I'll do a commentary explaining what it has to do with today's topic. I've always had a fascination with the Pacific Northwest. Between college trips, the Marine Corps, and months-long trips to find myself, I've been fortunate to see many different parts of the world. But for some reason, my traveling shoes haven't taken me to that corner of the world very often. I think that's why it's so alluring. We always have the deepest longing for the things we can't have. So I packed my bags in the summer of 2017 and I jumped on a train heading west. At this point, my savings were built up to a semi-respectable level and I had PTO, paid time off to burn. 
So I decided to fulfill my dreams of seeing what the Pacific Northwest had to offer. When I was farming, I had met many travelers who would either come from the Portland, Oregon, or were heading in that direction. So I chose that as my destination. When I arrived in the city, it was amid a heat wave. While I was there, the temperature never went below 90 degrees, and a couple of days broke 100. More surprising than the weather, however, were the people. I've always felt that cities are living organisms with the personalities all their own. You can learn about that personality through the people who live there. Chicagoans are hard-nosed and gritty. New Yorkers are always in a hurry. And Portlanders, well, Portlanders are weird in all the best ways. Case in point, I walked into a bar called Likewise in Southeast Portland one night, and I was shocked to learn that there were more than drinks on the menu. The establishment also sold experiences. For example, if you paid $300, the bartender would close the bar for two hours and take you to a local house to share a six-pack. Or you could pay $700 and the bar owners would close for the day and drive you to the coast for a seafood dinner. Not wanting to spend all my travel money in one place, I opted to pay $30 in exchange for a non-alcoholic drink and a page torn out of a random book that, that they had on the shelf. The bartender ended up selecting a book called Grapefruit, written by Yoko Ono, and my torn out page included missives such as, give death notices each time you move instead of giving announcements of the change of address, and the same when you die. I still carry that slip of paper in my wallet to this day. It makes for a great conversation piece at parties, but Portland wasn't just a good place for fun head-scratching experiences. I also got to experience some culture as well, the pinnacle of which was when I visited the Lansu Chinese Garden, which is a botanical garden located in Northwest Portland. It was designed to mirror traditional Ming Dynasty gardens, blending art, architecture, and nature. The best part of walking through the garden was seeing the drastic changes that occurred as we moved from one area to the next. One moment, the ground would be perfectly smooth, and in the next, it would be hard and bumpy. Standing in one spot gave me a perfect view of a pond and abundant plant life, but standing in another spot a few feet away left me staring at four stone walls with nothing visible but the sky. The tour guide explained that this was done on purpose so that the garden would present a different picture to its inhabitants depending on where they stood. Textures, architecture, and even smells changed from one place to the next. So I was forced to use all of my senses. I smelled tea coming from the tea house. I felt pebbles through my shoes. And I saw the water rippling beneath the bridge that connected one half of the garden to the other. The tour guide also explained that it was impossible to fully experience the garden in one visit. Sure, I could walk all of the paths in a day, but that only showed me what it was like in the sunshine. I'd have to walk it again at night, and that would be a good start, but I'd still have to experience it in the rain, and in the snow, and as an old man. In short, the garden was a living thing. It grew and changed from each passing moment. 
I could walk in it for a hundred years and never experience the whole thing. In many ways, a human life is a lot like the Lansu Garden. It's a living thing. That may seem like a foolish and obvious statement, but many of us don't treat each day as if it were alive. Rather, we walk the well-worn paths to our cars, our jobs, with the expectation that not much has changed. As a result, we miss out on the nuanced beauty of our lives. But right mindfulness ensures that we don't miss a thing. It helps us engage with life more fully. As we pay attention to our body, mind, emotions, and mental objects, we experience the world differently. We notice the feel of the carpet against our feet. We savor the taste of our food during meals and go about our daily tasks as if they were brand new. And we honor the emotions that arise with each one. As we continue to walk mindfully in the garden of our lives, we see things more clearly. We understand that the picture of our life differs depending on where we choose to stand. So we stand in places that give us the most light. We determine which paths lead to suffering, and we instinctively learn to avoid them. More than that, we recognize the ever-changing, unexpected nature of our existence, and we pay close attention to each moment as a result. Sometimes, this practice leads us to a bar that hands out reading material. Other times, we meet a tour guide who gives us life-changing advice. The practice can manifest in many ways, but one thing is always true. We can walk the same path a thousand times and still find something new. Lesson. Mindfulness helps us find joy in both the routine and the unexpected. Beautiful souls, I am so, so, so excited to announce that starting February 1st for $100 a month annually, you get access to a new e-course each month. Yes, you heard that right. Friends, last year you asked me the best questions like, how do I awaken? How do I connect with my angels more? You asked me, Julie, which of your courses should I take first? We've simplified everything for you. Starting February 1st, when you become an angel member, your angels and I are going to guide you through a journey of spiritual healing one month at a time. In February, we're starting with holding a high vibration and the energy of oneness. In March, we're teaching you how to build a relationship with your spirit team. In April, we're diving into teaching you how to trust your intuition. In May, the angels are going to show you how to access your soul's purpose. The rest of the year, we're diving into how to rewire your brain, self-energy healing and chakra clearing, inner child work and ancestral trauma, learning to speak your truth, sacred angel work, and so, so much more. All of this information builds upon one another, and it's best to start February 1st if you can. But if you're listening to the podcast and that date has passed, no worries. You can still become a member and we'll guide you on which lessons to view first to get up to speed. Some people have asked, will I have access to all of your other courses when I become a member? 
Over the course of the year, we will cover and expand upon all that was in the High Vibration and Angel Communication e-courses in the Angel Membership. However, the Angel Reiki School is separate and different as it helps you develop your unique spiritual gifts to serve others. While Angel Membership walks you through your spiritual growth and angel connection month after month. Each month, you'll get four new teachings, two Reiki healing recordings, and two live group question and answer Zoom calls. You'll also get a workbook, a community chat in Thinkific, and so much more. Go to the website The Angel Medium to become an Angel member today. Purchase the Angel Reiki School, or if you just like to take the previous Angel Communication e-course, you can sign up for all of those on the website. But again, that information will be covered and expanded upon in the Angel Membership. Links are in the show notes. Friends, this is going to be the biggest year of expansion, growth, and healing for you. Thank you so much for letting me be a part of it. It's so beautiful. There's a... Eckhart Tolle says sometimes, you know, don't label things. When you label the tree, the tree, you don't see the tree. When you label the flower, the flower, you don't see the flower. Does that teaching come from this principle? Uh, yes, it does. That idea from Eckhart Tolle definitely comes from this principle of right mindfulness. Because we forget that our lives are living things that we are living things. And so we try to label things and forget it. That's a toaster. I'm done. I never have to think about it again. Say it was a bad day. It's done. I never have to think about it again. And because of that, we lose all of the nuance of our life. So I talked about previously, we have to have a very holistic view of our life and of suffering as well. So maybe we did have a bad day, and it's perfectly fine to say, I had a bad day. But then if we change where we're standing in the garden of our life, we can also notice that, well, in the middle of that bad day, my child said something very sweet to me. Or in the middle of that bad day, I listened to my favorite song on the radio, and I had a great time in the car. So We have to label things in order to survive as human beings, but we can't just stop at one label. We have to look at the whole picture. Does it help as you're coming into this work to use that as a practice in your day-to-day life to just be like, okay, I'm feeling a lower vibration. Maybe I'm mood shifting in my day. Okay, What are the tools in my toolbox, my spiritual toolbox that I can use? Can this be a tool that we can apply and say, okay, you know, for the next five minutes, the next 10 minutes, I'm just going to look around and not apply labels to everything, but just be and just see the world from a different perspective. Yes. Yes. So as human beings, we have minds and our minds like to label things, but we also have bodies that are willing to just experience things. And sometimes it can be very helpful to shift out of our mind and just let our bodies experience what's happening because our bodies are very smart and they can process things a lot better than our mind can oftentimes. So if we're dealing with some sort of personal trauma, 
instead of trying to label it and figure it out because you know sometimes we can't figure it out sometimes it's just a bad thing we have to deal with if we just allow ourselves to experience it and just you know I'm just going to be sad for 30 minutes it can be very powerful and oftentimes our bodies can work through that on their own if we we take our our thinking out of the picture so page 74 of your book there's a chapter called zen and the art of playing board games and you talk about monopoly yes <laughs> <laughs> i have to chuckle as as i was reading this monopoly you say brings out the evil in everyone's soul <laughs> i cannot agree more um i was laughing so hard when i read this because in college i broke up with a boyfriend of two years over a game of monopoly oh wow <laughs> <laughs> His mom and I had gotten like to the end of this game, like three or four hours in, we had made all of the, you know, weird, uh, what do you call those like negotiations back and forth. And I thought I was being so sly and I thought I was so going to win. And I got crushed. Uh. So in this story, you talk about how you and your family would play board games. And when they would kind of bring up Monopoly, it would start to bring up this feeling of like a cringe within your body, like, and then you start to explore that within yourself and just realize that whenever you played Monopoly, you felt bad and you just didn't like the way that you were feeling. So you decided to remove yourself from the situation. You decided to kind of excuse yourself anytime the family was playing Monopoly. You would engage anytime that they were playing a different board game, but um, your parents quickly caught on. Can you kind of talk to us a little bit about this story? Because it's just so good. And I think it so illustrates, you know, a moment in your life where you were feeling pain and how you worked through that to bring this healing and love, not just to yourself, but really your entire family with how you structured it. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. I'm glad to hear I'm not the only one who has, uh, experience the evils of the game of Monopoly. Uh, it, it really, I, it's funny, I, I talked to a lot of people about that essay and they all tell similar stories to what you did of, you know, I broke up with my boyfriend or I stopped talking to my brother or, you know, something like this game. I don't know what it is, but so my family, it was a similar experience. Uh, we liked playing board games, that's the name of the essay. And Monopoly was one of those games. And I have a big family. I'm one of six kids. Uh, So you can imagine all of us playing this game and just getting very involved. Because we're not only very, um, very competitive people as a whole, but, you know, my parents are very involved in business. So they, they were kind of like tweaking that in us even more, right? It's like, well, are you sure you want to charge that much? Or, well, why don't you make a deal? That kind of thing. So it would almost become like a game of survivor (laughs) of alliances being formed and broken. Inevitably, at least one person would start crying in the middle of it. And I also come from a family that if you start something, you have to finish. So if the game takes six hours, we're playing six hours. You don't walk away from the table. (laughs) And this just caused a lot of problems. And 
over time, I just started to realize, like, I really just don't want to play this game with my family. We're always mad at each other at the end. I don't like the way it makes me feel. Now, I wasn't in a position, obviously, where I could, you know, say we're never playing this game again. But I was in a position to say, well, I'm not going to play this game anymore. You know, so what I would do is anytime Monopoly came onto the, the, the kitchen table, I would go and, you know, I'd go do homework. Or I'd, oh, I forgot to cut the grass, that kind of thing, right? So what ended up happening is my parents realized what I was doing. They wanted me to be involved. And, you know, we just had a conversation of, you know, this is why I don't like to play. This is what happens. And thankfully, they were very understanding. And we were able to work out rules for the game where we could still play and still have fun, but, you know, it wouldn't turn into the six-hour, you know, screaming and crying fest, right? And I think that's so important because if we look at Monopoly, you know, Monopoly mirrors life in a lot of different ways where we have to pay rent and, you know, some people start ahead and some people start behind and, if you don't have money, things get very difficult, right? And if you have a lot of money, things get very easy, right? So when we're dealing with our own lives, we have a lot of the same decisions that we have to make. And when we're dealing with suffering, a lot of times, ideally, we can just not deal with something anymore. We can just walk away and it's very simple and very easy, right? In Buddhism, we call this renunciation, but sometimes we can't renounce things right? Like family board game night is something I had to do. So if we have to do it, the question then becomes, well, how do we work it out in a way that creates less suffering for ourselves and others, right? So this uh, requires us, one, to see what's happening clearly. So stop to bother ourselves for a moment and just say, okay, so what is the actual source of suffering here? And then once we identify that, okay, well, how can we work with it? So maybe we create different rules for ourselves or we work with people and just have a conversation of this is what I'm feeling right now. What can we do about it? And as we create these different parameters for ourselves and for others and how we interact, we can have the exact same game of Monopoly, but now it's actually enjoyable. And now we still like each other after the fact. So. That's an important thing for life in general, because we have a lot of situations where we, we, we have to have the job, we have to drive to work, we have to pick up the kids from soccer. So we have to do it. How can we do it in a way that doesn't hurt us and doesn't hurt others? Yeah, you say in the book that you created three rules with your parents surrounding Monopoly. Mm -hmm. And these rules, you could also call them boundaries. They're boundaries sure. too, right? Like this was the boundary that made playing this game with your family like a loving, fun process mm -hmm. instead of something that you dread. And I think there's so much of that that we can see, you know, in this entire conversation in general. I mean, 2020, you can look at from multiple different perspectives. And there has been so much pain and so much suffering. And I don't want to bypass that with the family who has lost somebody to COVID or uh, or worse, or has lost a job or lost multiple family members. There's just so many things that have been going on. But we can look at 2020 with different lenses and see the beauty 
I, I really believe that 2020 has been my teacher in so many different ways. And look at what isn't working in our lives like monopoly. Where are the <laughs> monopoly aspects of our lives and what boundaries can we put around them? Um, I just thought that that was so brilliant and I wanted to share that with people. Mm-hmm. The other thing that was interesting is, you know, you talk in this chapter about when you weren't playing Monopoly at first, going up to your room and spending a lot of time in your room. And today is December 13th. As we're talking, I posted something on social media this past week because I feel like now more than ever before, I have been talking to my daughter through her bedroom door, which she now likes to keep shut and keep locked and has a keep out sign on the top. She's getting to be that age where she likes her space, but she's also gone through a lot of transition too in 2020 where her two best friends since kindergarten have moved away to a different state. It's not easy to see them. And she's not the only one that I look at that is going through this. There's so many different clients that I'm talking to right now. I work with a lot of different principals, superintendents, teachers, and there are there's a lot of concern right now for this younger generation because you're seeing, I've heard so many people say, my kid was a straight A student. They were so good at school. They had so much drive. And then that drive isn't there. And it's not just kids. There's so many adults right now who say, like, I don't see my purpose or I don't feel my purpose because my job isn't the same as what it was before. These kids are going through this exact same thing, though, but they don't have the life experience to put words or emotions or feelings to it and explain it, right? They're feeling this lack of purpose, this lack of drive. Have you worked with the younger generation? Have you seen this within your community? How can we help the younger generation? Sure. Well, there's a lot to unpack there. I want to start with what you said about boundaries. Boundaries are so important. And one really poisonous teaching that I've heard over and over again in spiritual communities is this idea that we're not supposed to have boundaries. That if we're spiritual people, if we're enlightened people, then no matter what happens to us, we should just you know, react happily and healthily to it and it shouldn't affect us at all. And that, that's simply not true. You know, I always like to look at the Buddha and his life when I have questions. And if we go back to Buddha 2,600 years ago, the man was all about boundaries. <laughs> I mean, if we look at the monastic order he founded, uh, his monks had to take literally hundreds of vows, which we can see as boundaries on their behavior and how they would interact with other people. And the idea being not that he wanted to ruin their fun, but that he wanted them and him, he, he followed these rules as well, to live lives that were ideal as much as possible for the realization of enlightenment so that as much of their energy as possible could be directed towards spiritual practice. Now, we're not monastics, obviously, but as spiritual people, it's 
equally important for us to have our own boundaries, to have our own quasi-monastic code, if you will, in terms of how we interact with the world and also how we want the world to interact with us. And what this does, uh, quite the opposite of ruining our fun or creating a, a difficult environment, it actually creates a much more healthy environment. Because again, with the game of Monopoly, without the boundaries, it was terrible. I hated it. I dreaded it every week. With the boundaries, it was actually a lot of fun. But the boundaries were key, right? So with our lives, we have to be willing to set boundaries and hold those boundaries. And that won't always be comfortable, but it's important because that's what allows us to move through the world healthily. And then going to this idea of 2020 and the lack of purpose, I think what's happening for a lot of people, what I'm seeing with a lot of people that I'm working with, is that we had so many distractions before, right? We were leaving every day to go to work or we had sports and we were dragging the kids to sports or there were NBA games. We were watching something. There were, there were so many distractions that we didn't have to really look at our lives. So what ended up happening is we have all of these things under the surface that we're just not seeing. Again, going back to mindfulness and how, in the garden, you can be in every part of the garden and have a different experience. Well, we all had one room in the garden that we liked really well, and we just stayed there. And what's happening now with 2020 is kicking and screaming, we're being dragged all over the place, right? Now you have to work from home. Now you have to spend 24 hours a day with your family. Uh, now you can't go out to eat anymore, right? All these different rooms in the garden, we're having to see life in a very different way that we're not used to. And, and that's difficult. That is a difficult thing. It's traumatizing. And that's, it's okay to admit that we're being traumatized in this moment. Again, life is suffering, first noble truth of Buddhism. But what I always remind people is that it's okay to suffer as long as we're trying to work with the suffering skillfully. So if we're in a moment where we're lacking purpose because, you know, I had this job and I was working very hard and now I'm working from home and everything's changed. Now that identity is gone. Well, it's okay to say I'm lacking purpose. That's fine. But the next step is, okay, how do I create purpose for myself? Maybe there's a hobby that we can devote more time to. Maybe there we can spend more time with our families and our friends, right? If we're struggling, you know, we have these relationships that are being strained or broken. Well, how can we reimagine these relationships now? It's okay to say the relationship is hurting. That's fine. It's normal. How can we reimagine this relationship now, right? So maybe we're doing Zoom calls and phone calls where we didn't have to do those before. Maybe we're sitting down with our spouse and we're creating new boundaries and new understandings around our relationship that we didn't have before, that we didn't need before because I was gone at the office 10 hours a day. And now I'm here in the living room and you're trying to do yoga while I'm watching TV and it's not working. So how, how can we rethink this idea 
And what I'm really encouraging everyone to do is just a twofold step of one, accepting the fact that life is difficult right now. And then two, just being willing to reimagine what life could be in this new situation. How do I reset my purpose? How do I reset my boundaries? So I can deal with this current situation and not have it drag me down into despair. And that's really, as I've been working with kids who are like in high school, a couple of parents have, have called and asked me to have a session with their child. That's really what the angels have been bringing through too, is this message of daydream about what it is that you do want your life to look like, and then go out and build that. And there are so many beautiful things that are coming up. I can't tell you how many sessions I've had with um, young adults who are saying, I want to help society in this way. I want to do this. I want to do this. And it's like, yes. That's so awesome. That gives them the sense of purpose and drives them to wake up in the morning and think, okay, I've got a problem, you know, that I want to fix. I want to be able to help this community in this way. I'm uh, working with this nonprofit to figure out how I can help. And, and then they're going about and taking action to help in that way. I guess my other question would be for some people and I'm not a therapist, you're not a therapist, so maybe this isn't our realm, but what does the Buddha say about those who are highly depressed, right? And when they get into this deeper state of, I guess, depression is suffering, right? How do they come out of that? Sure, sure. Well, that's a wonderful question. And, you know, as, as you said, I'm not a therapist, so I'm limited in how I can speak to this. I, I'd say the first step would probably be to speak with a mental health professional and get their advice and hear what they think we need to be doing. You know, they're trained to deal with these things. I would say the second step would be that we can approach it not so much as can Buddhism cure my depression? But can Buddhism, can some Buddhist practices help me manage the symptoms, right? So, and we have to be very careful with that because some things we try may make it worse. Some things might make it better. I would encourage anyone who is practicing Buddhism who's suffering from depression is just to be very honest and upfront with their teacher. Say, hey, this thing is, this is something I'm dealing with. And then the teacher can kind of guide them in, okay, well, let me know how you feel after this practice and we can go from there. So just a very upfront, honest, hey, this is happening. This is definitely not something that we should be ashamed to speak about or scared of, especially when we're talking with a spiritual person, right? In terms of how can like uh, meditative or contemplative practices assist us if we're dealing with depression. I've found dealing with depression early in my life was that I had a very negative view of the world. Everything was against me. Everything was bad. Everything was wrong. And I really had to train myself to see the beauty in things because I found that I was missing that. 
And again, this wasn't a cure for the depression, but it was something that kept it from getting worse, right? So if I'm having a depressive day where everything just seems miserable, I, I literally would have to look around the room and say, oh, the lights are working. I have electricity. That's great. Oh, my plants are healthy and strong. They're growing. That's great. That sort of thing. And sort of remind myself of the good things in life because my brain only wanted to focus on the negative. Another thing that was helpful for me was creating small rituals for myself. So in a Buddhist monastery, there are lots of rituals and they serve two purposes. One is for spiritual practice, but one is to ensure that all the day-to-day tasks are completed. So cleaning the floor, cooking meals, etc. And if I was having a depressive episode, I wouldn't want to do those things, right? So I wouldn't want to bathe. I wouldn't want to eat. I wouldn't want to clean up. So instead of waiting for, okay, when I don't feel like this, then I'll go do this stuff. I just made it part of the ritual. So, okay, I'm going to get up and do the brushing my teeth ritual. I'm going to do the showering ritual. I'm going to do the eating breakfast ritual. I'm not hungry, but this is something that I have to do as part of my day. In the same way that if I was on a Buddhist retreat, I would just follow the schedule just because it's the schedule. I did that for myself as well, creating these daily rituals. And I found that that was helpful as well. That's perfect. And I think it so ties into what you were talking about before of just like reimagining and our entire kind of talk today when we're talking about pain and transforming to healing and love and not saying things with labels, but really reimagining what our lives can look like. I think that's so beautiful. And I think that's really what this year is about. Like 2021 is about okay, so 2020 was our year of suffering and we're not completely out of the woods yet here in January, 2021, but how can we heal? How can we love? How can we look at everything from that lens and bring more healing and love into the world? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, also just remembering that we didn't do anything wrong. I think a lot of times we as Westerners, if we think we have a problem that we're somehow we're broken or the world is punishing us in some way. And that's not the case. Um, I think that's one of the really great teachings about Buddhism is that if something goes wrong, we don't always have to look for someone to One more question for you. Sometimes it's just a bad situation. In 2021, you know, we're always working on ourselves too. What are you working on in 2021 for yourself? So what I've done uh, largely in 2020, and I'll continue in 2021, I really worked to try and treat this as if I was on retreat. Uh, because I, I am one of those people who I had a schedule and I had all these things I was doing and it's all been disrupted. And now I'm being quarantined and I can't leave the house. And so, okay, if I was on retreat, what would I be doing? So reimagining things, creating rituals for myself, just like if I was on retreat, like I said, uh, brushing my teeth, showering, preparing food, checking in with loved ones. And this, this has all been very healthy for me. 
ensuring that all of these things get done. So that's one thing that I'm going to keep focusing on is creating rituals that make life better for myself and for other people. Um, the other thing that I'm really focusing on is I find that uh, really caring for things is a deep spiritual practice. And it's something that I've been able to do very, very specifically during this time. Again, being inside, not being allowed to leave and just really focusing on, you know, my pets, my houseplants, my loved ones. How can I treat these as living things and nurture them as best as I can? That's going to be the next thing I really focus on in 2021 is trying to nurture people and things as, as much as I can. You know, I said one last question, but now I got one last question. <laughs> <laughs> There's an entire segment that we really haven't talked about yet, which is people who were severely impacted by 2020 in the way that it changed their lives. And it it's really almost kind of leading to this burnt out energy. I'm thinking about nurses and doctors who are taking care of patients around the clock, moms who are trying to work at home and manage two, three, four kids in the background. Those who are completely burnt out. I know that there are a lot of people writing in right now with that energy. And I've been at that point. Have you ever been at that point in your life too, where you're like going, going, going and your energy, if you looked at yourself as an outline of a human body and you're like, how much battery do I have left? It doesn't even really fill up your toes, right? It's just you're running on empty. Speak to those people. Sure. Well, so in the West, we have this idea that we are supposed to be the, the superheroes, you know, and we're never supposed to get tired, that we're never supposed to feel pain. And I think one of the most important things we can do is to disavow ourselves of that notion and really allow ourselves to, to hurt sometimes and to say, I, I am tired, I am burned out. And it's not because I'm failing or because I'm not good enough. That's just the situation I'm in because of what's happening. You know, as, as I talked about previously with karma, there's cause and there's effect. And 2020 is the cause and the effect is we have a lot of people on the front lines who are burnt out right now. So and we need to give ourselves permission to do that. So I would say that first off. And then next would be, well, what are going back to, to setting healthy boundaries? What are some boundaries that I can put in place to help me to get through this? And a lot of times we, we don't want to do this. We want to give 110%, but we can only give what we can give. And our bodies, our health is just as important as everyone else. So what boundaries do we need to put in place to protect ourselves, whether that's how many hours we're willing to work or, you know, how many conversations we're willing to have, or maybe we have a day off where we just keep that to ourselves. So I, I would encourage those two things to one, allow ourselves to feel what we're feeling 
And then two, look at what are some boundaries I can set because I'm clearly pushing myself too far at this point. What are some boundaries I can set that keep me within healthy limits? That's so beautiful. Everyone, I hope that you join me in just sending out positivity, love to Sensei for his time of being here. Please, if you have the resources to do to do so, uh, go over to his website. It's called thesameoldzen.com. That link is in the show notes. And send him a contribution on his website for just being here. Uh, He does work one-on-one with people. You can email him and you can set up that uh, with him. You can also purchase his book on Amazon. Uh, That book is called Perfectly Ordinary Buddhist Teachings for Everyday Life. And that link is also in the show notes. It's a beautiful green cover. I have it on my bedside uh, every night. I've been reading it over and over. You can just gain so much wisdom by reading it a couple of times. We will be back here next week. We'll be talking about some techniques that we can use to remain grounded in love and express forgiveness when we or the people we care for are harmed. Sensei, thank you so much for being here today. You are just the best. And and I just, I love, love, love our conversations. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I, I love our conversations as well. Beautiful souls, if you want more information about the new Angel Membership Program, we're hosting three live webinars on Zoom. You can join us Tuesday, January 26th at 3 p.m. Central Time, Wednesday, January 27th at 11 a.m. Central Time, or Thursday, January 28th at 6 p.m. Central Time. I will be on Zoom all of these three days at these times. Links are in the show notes. This is your opportunity to meet me, see what the program is all about. The Zoom link for these webinars is in the show notes below. Friends, this is going to be an incredible year for you. Friends, this is your year to put it all together. January, we are focused on manifestation. February, we're diving into how to raise your vibration, holding high vibration and the energy of oneness. We have totally redone and expanded the high vibration e-course with all new material. In March, we're talking about how to connect with your angels. In April, we're teaching you to trust your intuition. In May, we're teaching you how to find your soul's purpose. In June, we're diving into the chakras, self-energy healing, and how you can clear your own energy. July is all about rewriting your story. Friends, you have a story about money you are telling yourself. You have a story about love, about connection, about romance that you are telling yourself. You have a story that you play within your head for every area of your life. And we're going to look at how you rewrite your story so that it's one you want to live. Friends, in August, we're talking about rewiring your mind. September is all about ancestral trauma, 
October is inner child work. November, we're diving into a guide for empaths and really talking about what to do when you feel everything. And in December, friends, oh, December is such a sacred month when it comes to the energy of connecting with loved ones in heaven. Friends, December is the month where everybody calls me that I know and says, Julie, something is happening. My loved one, they're trying to get in touch with me. I know they have a message. What are they trying to say? And this is very different from the Angel Reiki School where you're learning to develop your spiritual gifts to serve others, but there is a way to teach you how to develop your connection more with your loved ones on the other side. Now, you can certainly join in the membership program any month that you want to take any of these courses. But it is so amazing to go through the whole year cycle. In fact, you can go through year after year and learn more and go deeper and deeper and deeper. So that is to say that the information accumulates on one another. And actually, this came to be because Spirit was showing me that manifestation, you know, when all of these spiritual healers come out with manifestation e-courses, they are so yummy and delicious, right? But really, manifestation is the end point where when you learn how to do and work through all of the stuff that I just mentioned, you become an expert at manifestation, but better yet, co-creation and really creating and building the life that you want to live here. So friends, I am so, so excited about this year, about your journey, and I'm so excited to go on this journey with you. Again, if you want to find out more information, join us for one of the free webinars where I'll be live sharing details about this program and answering your questions. Again, those dates are January 26th, 27th, 28th, and the times and links to Zoom are in the show notes below. All my love to you, friends. Bye-bye.